All right. Good morning, everybody. How are we doing? Good. Well, James is in Louisiana and went to the LSU Florida game last night. I'm not going to say how the game went because it wasn't in my favor. But um, I know he had a good time and just sent me a text that he's watching and uh, sends everybody his love. And um, excited to be here this morning. Man, crazy story. I'm not going to share all the details, but um, what's happened in our life the last couple of months. But it is so good to be back. Very, very good to be back and very uh, excited to be uh, just sharing a couple things today. And what I want to talk about is if you've ever had conversations with people as I have, one of the things that comes up, especially with people that are um, not really understand or not sure about the message of grace and um, you know, the finished work of Christ, one of the questions or statements always seems to be this. If you love Jesus, what about obeying his commandments? You ever got that one before? You have to obey his commandments, right? So I want to talk about that a little bit and, and just kind of explain what that is, obeying the commandments, and how do you, just, how do, you do that? Um, because it's, it's easier said than done, right? So I want to get into that just a little bit. So Let's pray and we'll get going. Father, we stand in awe of you this morning, of your love for us, your unconditional love for us. It never changes. And God, we thank you for your presence that never leaves, never fails. And God, I just pray right now, God, as we're sitting here in this moment, God, that we would see you in a deeper way, see your love for us in a deeper way. It's not about our love for you, but it is all about your love for us. Help us to focus on that, God, how much you truly, truly love us. God, we thank you in these next few moments, these next minutes, God, that you would reveal a deeper side to you of how much you really do love us. God, thank you that the veil has been torn God, that we can walk freely, boldly into your throne of grace, never of judgment, never of condemnation, but of grace and of mercy. And God, we thank you for this time. Teach us your word, teach us your truth by your Holy Spirit. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, Last Sunday... For those of you here last Sunday, um, during worship, there was a song that Abby was singing and, and that a- Abby actually wrote, and was sitting here over here, um, just enjoying his presence. There was just something different about last Sunday. I don't know if anybody else felt that, but it was powerful. I mean, it was, worship was awesome, really, really good. But anyway, Abby was singing one of her uh, songs that she wrote, and in that song, she, um, one of the words and the lyrics, um, it says, I rest in you, my God. You know the song I'm talking about? I rest in you, I rest in you. Great, great song. And I'm sitting there worshiping, and just in a moment, I heard the Lord speak to me, and he said this, so powerful. He said, as much as that is true, that we rest in him, the greater truth 
is that God is at rest in us. And I heard the Lord so clearly say, as much as that is true, I'm at rest in you. I am at rest in you, meaning I'll never leave you. I'm never going to leave you, right? I mean, that is powerful. The creator of the universe, all that we see, literally is at rest in you. As a believer, he is at rest, right? Powerful. Man, it just ministered to me so much that as big as God is, he would want to take up residence in us, right? He exchanged the temple, right? And we are now the temple, and he is at rest in us. Awesome truth, and just love how God does simple things like that. Just speaks a small little word, and just powerful ministry. I mean, I think, thought about it all week. Man, God, you're at rest in me. That's awesome. You're at rest in me. So just wanted to share that. But um, there's a, a quick video I want to share with you guys. It's a song that really, really um, speaks to me. It's a song that I heard a couple of years ago when I first started to understand the revelation of Jesus and the revelation of his finished work. And it's a song called Abba, which means father. And uh, it's by a guy named Jonathan David Helser. It's just maybe about a four-minute, four-and-a-half-minute song. But I want you guys to watch this and really see and understand and, and hear the lyrics and what he's saying. It's such a powerful truth, and it kind of goes along with, with what I'll be talking about today and certainly uh, with what the Lord spoke to me on Sunday. So go ahead and play that video, and we'll get going. song from a prayer of Brennan Manning. The prayer begins with the word Abba, which means Daddy, Papa, my dear Father. Abba, I belong to you. And he tells you to take this prayer into a quiet place and with the rhythm of your breathing, inhale Abba and exhale, I belong to you. And as I begin to pray this prayer, the love of God began to wreck my heart. And I realized that Jesus began a revolution with one word. When he said the word Father, he changed everything. And now he's invited us into this reality, into this place of belonging, to call God our Papa, our Daddy, our Abba.
Powerful, huh? Man, that song is just, it's so powerful. I love what he says in that video. He says that Jesus started a revolution with one word. Father. Just one word. Because in that day, saying the word father was, you just didn't say it. I mean, that was just, you know, his name was too holy. You just didn't say father. But for Jesus to say, when you pray, pray our Father, right? I love that. And how he goes on, he talks about, um, you're closer than the skin on my bones. Man, it's awesome. You're more real than the wind in my lungs. I think sometimes we can get... um, we can think a little bit too much, if that makes sense, you know? But really, when you break it down, like God is so close to us. Closer than the skin on my bones. Man, it's awesome. I could talk about that for a long time, but I'm not. <laughs> so anyway, um, so what I wanna talk about today is just what are the commandments of God? And you hear about that all the time. If you love me, keep my commandments, right? That's usually a scripture that a lot of people will bring out. If you love me, keep my commandments. Are you really keeping his commandments? You know, um, I know you understand grace. I know you're preaching this finished work of Christ, but what about the commandments, you know? So I just want to talk about that for just a, a little bit. So if God truly does love us unconditionally, which he absolutely does, what about certain scriptures that seem to say otherwise? that seem to say opposites. 
But one of the truths of the word is there are no contradictions in the word. None. There are zero contradictions. Regardless of what you might hear people say, there are no contradictions at all. So, so turn to your Bibles to John chapter 14 and uh, verse 15. John 14, 15. That's where we'll start today. Okay, I'm going to start at verse 12. Well, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples here. And verse 12 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. That is the scripture that a lot of people will bring out um, as far as keeping the commandments of God. The way that many people read that verse is not the way that I just read it, meaning this. What they will read or how they understand that verse is this. You will keep my commandments if you love me. Right? That's basically what they're saying, right? You will keep my commandments, but only if you love me. That's how they actually read that. And what they're essentially saying is we must prove our love for God by doing what he commands, right? We must prove our love for God by doing what he commands. They think commandment keeping is what God requires of us in order to earn his love. That's essentially what they're saying. But grace and earning can't mix, it's two totally different things, right? We had our kids' birthday party yesterday. We celebrated them and at Chuck E. Cheese, and it's awesome. It's very, very cheap. I definitely recommend it because there's no cleanup at the end. Um, it's, it's great. Um, but they're sitting there tearing into their gifts, and I've shared this before, but this is such a, a perfect revelation for me about grace and earning. They, they just don't mix. He's opening up his gifts, loving it, opening it up, saying, oh, my gosh, thank you so much. Like, I love it. It's exactly what I wanted. It's, you know, it's Transformers or it's whatever it is. But how crazy of it would be of me to include the bill in there for him? Right? Like, well, you better enjoy that gift because you're going to be paying me 10 bucks a month in order to pay me back. He would be like, what? It, it, it doesn't make sense, right? So grace is actually logical, right? It is logical. There's no way that you can earn something and have to pay for it. Or pay it back. It just it doesn't mix. So, all right. Um, grace can only be received. It can never be achieved. It, it's impossible. Um, God is always the initiator. He's never the responder. Okay. I want to say never. I shouldn't say that. Most of the time, God God is the initiator. And what I mean by that is the only way that we can love God is because He first loved us. The only way that we love. The scripture actually says, it doesn't say we love God because he first loved us. He says we love because he first loved us, okay? The only way that you can love God, it takes God to love God, okay? It takes God to love God. 
Keeping his commandments is a result of walking in the Spirit. Keeping his commandments is a result of walking in the Spirit. Romans chapter 8, 3 and 4 says, For what God has done, for what God has done with the law weakened by the flesh could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. I want to read you a quick quote by Steve McVeigh, really, really great writer, uh, and he says this about commandment keeping. I thought this was really good. He says, here in New Zealand, we have a big problem with domestic violence. Consequently, there are many laws governing the responsibilities of fathers. Break any of these laws and you might go to jail or have your kids taken away. It's a serious problem. But to be honest, I couldn't tell you what these laws are. I've never read them. Yet I can confidently declare that I'm keeping every one of these laws. How do I know? Because I love my kids. I don't keep the laws to show the authorities that I love my kids, and I don't relate to my children on the basis of these laws. I relate to them on the basis of love, and keeping the laws of the land flows naturally from that love relationship. I know the laws serve a good purpose, but they weren't written for me. They were written for fathers who don't love their kids. It's awesome. That's awesome, right? They were written for fathers who don't love their kids, right? We don't prove our love to the authorities, right? We don't prove our love for God by keeping his commands, by trying to obey everything perfectly all the time, right? You can't do it anyway. And you'll go crazy trying to, trust me. I've tried it. It doesn't work. You will go crazy, absolutely. Um, Galatians chapter 2, 19 and 20 says, For through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Okay? So that's one scripture. Here's another one that's messed a lot of people up. And it's John chapter 14, verse 21. So just one chapter before, John 14, verse 21. You've probably heard this plenty of times, as have I. Verse 21 says, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest, manifest myself to him. Heard that one before? People try to you know, quote that scripture and, you know, try to argue with you, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Okay. All right. I want to just bring something out really, really uh, simple, uh, but something I like to do a lot is go to the Greek and find out exactly what the writer is saying. Okay. If you look at the word keep in that verse in John 14, 21, the Greek word is, is a word called tereo, which is T-E-R-E-O, okay? T-E-R-E-O, if you want to write it down. What that word means, it actually means to guard. It means to guard from loss or injury, and I like this, by keeping the eye upon. Really changes the meaning of that scripture, right? 
what most people read that verse as, I used to, keeping it, doing them, obeying them perfectly, you know, um, striving to keep them, but it's not what it means at all. It means to guard. So that verse actually should read, whoever has my commandments and guards them, right, and guards them, whole different meaning, all right? So here's the question. What exactly are the commands of Jesus? Okay? What are the commands of Jesus? And I want to point this out. His commandments are different than the commandments, meaning the law or the Ten Commandments. Okay? His commandments, they are absolutely different than the commandments. Okay? It's a big truth there. They're absolutely, totally, totally different. Okay, so the next time someone tells you you must keep the commands of Jesus to prove your love, very simple response is this. And we as grace people believe in Jesus, the finished work. We always are to be gracious, right? Always are to be gracious. The easiest way to answer that is this, or the statement. So next time someone tells you you must keep the commands of Jesus to prove your love, ask them this. What are the commands of Jesus? I can bet you probably 98, 99% of people are going to have a blank stare on their face. What are the commands? We're not disagreeing or agreeing with them, just asking a simple question. What exactly are they? Okay? Most of them will probably, well, a good portion of them will probably bring out Matthew uh, 22, 38. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Right? That's usually the one that they'll pull out of their holster. Right? <laughs> that's usually what they will do. But has anybody really ever done that? Seriously. With all your heart? With all your mind? I haven't. Anybody else in here? It's hard, right? You can't do it. Even David couldn't do it, and he was pretty good, right? He was pretty good. The only one that's ever loved God with all of his heart all of his mind is who? Exactly. He is the only one that will ever be able to do that. Okay? So, that's not what Jesus is trying to get us to do here. Okay? Now, remember, Jesus was still speaking to those under the law. Okay? He was born uh, to those under the law. The question uh, from the man is, what is the greatest commandment in the law? That scripture we just talked about, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul. The question prior to that, the guy asks, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said, okay, you want to know the greatest commandment? Here you go. You'll love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, right? Can't do it, all right? <clears throat> so look at John 14, 15 uh, in its context here. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, okay? If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Now, Jesus is referring to two specific commands, okay? So if you want to know what Jesus was talking about, what commands, what are the commands of Jesus, here you go. Here's the first, which is John 13, 34. A new command I give you, love one another. That's the first a new command I give you, love one another. That's John 13, 34. That's the first one. Okay? Here's the second. 
This is John 14, verse 1, and also verse 11. This is the second command. John 14, verse 1, and then also 11. It says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. Okay? So the two commands of Jesus are this. Number one, love one another. Number two, believe in God. That's it. That's it. Just two. Love one another, believe in God. So, second question is, what does it mean to keep his commandments? Right? We just talked about what are the commandments. Now, what does it mean to keep them? Okay? 1 John chapter 3, verse 23 is your answer. 1 John chapter 3, verse 23 says, And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. 1 John 3, 23. Very simple. This is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and we love one another. It's very, very simple. So don't let it get confusing that you have all these commandments. Like, oh my gosh, what if I don't obey this? And what if I don't obey this commandment? What if I don't do this? What if I don't do this? Right? God is not like, you know, wants us to uh, be a part of a shotgun wedding. Right? Like, if you don't do this, then you're not really my kids. You know? God is not like that. So Jesus is not saying we need to keep his commandments in order to prove our love for him at all. So, how do we keep the commands under the new covenant? How do we keep them? Jesus gives us the answer in the very next verse. All right, this is verse uh, 16. Uh, John 14, verse 16. And most people will just read verse 15. There is a verse 16. There is a verse 16 right after it. All right? And it says this. It says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So the way to keep the commandments under the new covenant, it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is always going to manifest itself in us by helping us to keep those commandments. And again, there's just two. Love one another, believe in God. You keep those, you're good. All right? Don't have to worry about all the other ones, okay? The Spirit will enable us to keep the commandments. Look at John 14, 18 through 20. John 14, 18 through 20. <clears throat> Love this. This is so good. Okay, verse 18, John 14, verse 18. It says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. Okay? In that day you will know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. James said this a couple of weeks ago and I absolutely agree with him. I think one of the biggest revelations, and this was probably one of the biggest for me, one of the biggest revelations, I think, if more believers actually got and actually understood is the truth that Jesus actually lives in us. 
literally. He actually lives in us, right? It's I no longer live, but it's Christ who lives in me. It's not you trying to do things. It's not you in and of yourselves, in and of your flesh, because that will just bring condemnation and it will bring judgment if you try to do things in and of yourselves. You will get burned out. Trust me, and I'm sure you guys have experienced that as I have, right? So it's allowing Jesus to actually live through you. And I think that's one of the biggest revelations. And also, another big revelation is most people understand that Jesus died for us, right? Most evangelicals will agree with that. Jesus died for us, absolutely. But the greater truth is this, that Jesus actually died as us, right? Jesus died for us, absolutely, but he died as us, meaning we're dead. We're crucified. Our old man, it's dead. It's buried. It's gone, right? What purpose would it serve trying to, um, you know, say there was a, you know, if you worked at a morgue or whatever, although that would be kind of weird. I don't know how anybody can do that. Um, But if you did, how crazy would it be to try to go to this, you know, body laying there and, you know, scream at him, try to wake him up, you know, like, what are you doing? Come on, you need to live right. You need to live right. Probably not going to respond. He's dead, (laughs) right? He's dead. He's not going to wake up. Same way with our old man. He is dead. He is crucified, right? All right. So I want to read that um, Galatians chapter 2, 19 through 21 in the message version and just brings it out really, really good. This is Galatians 2, 19 through 21. It says, what actually took place is this. I tried keeping rules and working my head off to please God, and it didn't work. So I quit being a law man so that I could be God's man. Christ's life showed me how and enabled me to do it. I identified myself completely with him. Indeed, I have been crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer central. It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion. And I'm no longer driven to impress God. Christ lives in me. The life you see me living is not mine, but it is lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm not going to go back on that. It is not clear to you, or is it not clear to you, that to go back to that old old rule-keeping, peer-pleasing religion would be an abandonment of everything personal and free in my relationship with God. I refuse to do that, to repudiate God's grace. If a living relationship with God could come by rule-keeping, then Christ died unnecessarily. If a living relationship with God could come by rule-keeping, then Christ died unnecessarily. If rule-keeping is what it's about, then what did Jesus have to come to earth for? It just it doesn't make sense. That'd be a waste of his time. That's exactly what Paul is saying. It'd be a waste of his time. Might as well just stayed with the Father. Right? So, the mystery of the gospel, it's Christ in us. It's Christ in us. Okay? John chapter 15, we're not going to read the whole verse, but it's the scripture that talks about Jesus being the vine, we're the branches. Right? Um, this was quoted in the normal Christian life. I think it's really good. It just talks about that portion of Scripture really good. 
It says, here I feel is the secret, not asking how I am to get sap out of the vine into myself, but remembering that Jesus is the vine. The root, stem, branches, twigs, leaves, flowers, fruit, all indeed. I've not got to make myself a branch. The Lord Jesus tells me I am a branch. I am part of him and I have just to believe it and act upon it. The branch doesn't have to strive to try to grab things from the vine. It just receives. It just receives. That's all it does. It's just like the soil on the ground. It doesn't have to do anything. It just sits there and receives the rain. Right? It's not a striving mentality to try to, you know, try to keep the commandments and, you know, have this fear mentality. So another verse that's taught incorrectly uh, brings fear and judgment to many, many believers, which is John 15, 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Right? Any, has that scripture messed anybody else up other than me? Right? Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. So what was actually Jesus saying in that verse? If you want to write this down, you can, or you can ask me about it later. There's basically three main interpretations to that scripture. Uh, that we just read. Every branch of me doesn't bear fruit, he takes away. The first viewpoint say that the branches are taken away in verse 2 and are burned in verse 6 are believers that can lose their salvation. That's the way that a lot of people will actually teach that, that it's possible to lose your salvation. Calvinists call this perseverance of the saints. It's part of the tulip. Anybody ever heard that before from the Calvinist perspective? That's essentially what it is, that we have to persevere in order to keep what was given as a gift. That makes sense. I mean, really? We have to persevere to try to keep something that was given to us as a gift. Yeah, all right. Good luck with that. Um, Their answer to what happens when you're unfruitful, well, you just lose your salvation. That's it. That's the answer. You're unfruitful, you're going to lose your salvation. That's typically what's taught. Uh, You're once saved, but because you persisted in your unfruitfulness... Well, see you later. That's it. That's, that's basically, you know, what they teach. But we know Scripture does not say that, right? Once we have eternal life, we have eternal life. There's no such thing as temporal eternal life. We either have eternal life or we don't. There's no in-between. Once you received Christ, you have eternal life living in you right now. And it's never going to leave. Ever, 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 ever. John 3.16, John 6.47, John 6.40, uh, John 5.24. I'll read that real quick because I think it's important. John 5.24. Um, really, really good verse. John 5.24. says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Okay? Okay, so that's the first interpretation. The second one of that verse is this, that the branches actually represent counterfeit believers. That's another interpretation that you'll hear, that the branches he's talking about, that he'll take it away, they're counterfeit believers. So what happens to you when you're unfruitful? You prove to be a counterfeit believer. You weren't really saved in the first place. That's the second way that it's taught. You never were truly saved. So my question would be, 
to somebody that teaches it that way would be this. How much unfruitfulness does it take to prove that you were never saved? Like, where's that bar? Right? And who sets it? Obviously, the person that's trying to argue or make a point. How much unfruitfulness do you have to have where this alarm goes off or something, and you're like, oh my gosh, maybe I'm not saved. Apparently, I was never saved. Yeah, exactly. We, we asked the owl. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, yep. So that's the second way, all right? Branches are true believers. Look at John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. You are the branches. Branches can only receive the life that's flowing from the vine. So who is Jesus addressing here? He's addressing the 11 disciples, right? He's, were they counterfeit believers? I don't think so, right? They were not. So the one that takes his viewpoint are saying that the disciples were counterfeit believers, and we know that's just not true. Unfruitfulness never proves that a person is an unbeliever, ever. Unfruitfulness never proves that a person is an unbeliever. So the first one says if you're not fruitful, you lose your, lose your salvation. Second view says if you're not fruitful, you just weren't saved. Okay? The third one is the correct view. Okay? And it actually has to do with an incorrect translation of that scripture. This is the correct view. The branches are true believers who experience encouragement from a loving father by lifting them up. Okay? It's by lifting them up. Okay? The Greek word for take away is the Greek word aero. A-I-R-O. Or iro. I'm not sure how you pronounce it, but it means to take away is aero. It actually means to raise up or to raise up from the ground. Okay? They're not cut off. That's a bad translation that would have made no sense to a Mediterranean listener. A viticulturalist would never throw away a branch, for that would be like amputating part of the vine. Unfruitful branches are lifted out of the dirt and redressed so they could be re-nourished by the sun. Okay? Re-nourished by the sun. So why do unbelievers become unfruitful at times? This is so good. Sticking with that metaphor, the reason why some Christians are barren is that they're face down in the dirt and not looking at the sun. That's the reason that we become unfruitful at times. It's not that you're not a believer. It's not that you're going to lose your salvation. It's that sometimes we take our eyes off of the sun, just like the branches, right? They're busy, distracted, stressed, and have wandered from their primary love. When believers lose sight of Christ's love for them, they tend to become religious and try to earn God's love. Okay? So look at the second part of John 15, 2. It says, Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. That's another scripture that sometimes people try to use to bring fear, is that word prunes. What does that word prune actually mean? Most believe that prunes means to chastise, afflict, or bring painful discipline. It's not what that means at all. Okay? The Greek word for purge is kathero, K-A-T-H-A-I-R-O. It simply means to cleanse. It just means to clean. That's all. Look at John 15, 3. It says, already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. So what's it mean to be clean? The Greek word for clean is 
a same uh, derivative of that is katharos, which means just what you think it does. It means clean and pure. But I love this. It also means blameless, innocent, and unstained with the guilt of anything. Unstained with the guilt of anything. As he is, so are you in this world. As he is. Everything that's true about Jesus is true about you. Everything. How clean are you? As clean as Jesus is. How innocent are you? As innocent as Jesus is. How blameless are you? As blameless as Jesus is. Okay? For you to experience freedom from guilt and condemnation. Um, sorry, I left my uh, part here. Here we go. For you to experience freedom from guilt and condemnation is to change your way of thinking from a law mentality to a Jesus mentality. Law says go and try to be clean and innocent in your own effort. You need to try harder and do more. The mindset is the quickest way to a guilt trip. People say you need to be clean by clean living. So how do you know when you've lived clean enough? That's another question, all right? Pruning just means to cleanse. It's to have your mind cleansed or renewed from a law mentality that says, I need to try to become clean, holy, and Christ-like. Pruning is to receive the revelation that you already are clean and allow Christ to be your identity. That's just what it means. Just like the vine, right? Literally what happens, you can imagine Jesus was talking to his disciples and is probably walking through a vineyard or walking near a vineyard. Literally what they do when it, when it loses its... Um, sorry, my alarm. Um, <laughs> literally what happened is they would come and they would actually put rocks underneath the vine, right? Get that image for a second. That's awesome. He comes and puts the rock underneath so it can get up from off of the ground and actually be able to face the sun. That's what's happening. That's all that Jesus is doing. So sometimes when you feel like, God, am I, am I doing enough for you? Am I really being fruitful enough? All you have to do is just turn your attention to the sun. That's it. And always, always know that you are clean. As Jesus said, you're clean because of the word that I spoke to you. You are clean. You're not trying to get yourself clean. The image is actually standing underneath a waterfall. You're always clean. Awesome, right? That was for you, James. Sorry, I wanted to say awesome. Nobody says it like James. So let's pray and we'll get you guys out of here. Father, we love you so much. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that we are clean before you. We are innocent. We are not guilty. God, we thank you that we always have uh, you in our life, that you'll never leave us, you'll never forsake us, Father. And I thank you that we are fruitful, fruitful branches because we receive that life from you, the vine. Thank you, God, for your word today. Thank you for your truth in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.